I was uh, answering a, somebody on Facebook this week, and they were talking about uh, why do we see God do miracles and when we pray, and why do we see it specifically here? And the answer I, I gave is this, and it, it's a really simple one. Without praying for anybody and without stepping out, nobody gets healed. And so one of the reasons why we don't see more healing in the body of Christ is because we're not stepping out and praying. And, and then we go, well, we don't see it here. Well, we don't see it when we don't pray. And it's not that everybody is healed, but we press on until they are. And not to get discouraged, but to celebrate the, the successes and, and the times when we see God do the miraculous. And we're increasingly seeing God do the miraculous. But until we walk like the disciples walk, there's still a lot we have to learn as well. And so we keep pressing in, we keep pushing in. But um, I just thought it was interesting that, that people ask, why do we not see healing? And yet they don't pray for it, they don't teach it, they don't, they don't minister it, and they don't have an expectation of it. And, and that's the answer, that's why. And today I'm coming to write, well, it's the end of this Faith Builder series, so you've got a few more morning videos to go and then, then we're done. And, uh, and I'll think of something else over the summer. But what I want to talk about this morning is, is perhaps the most important component of how faith operates. I want to talk this morning about authority. Because it's something that we don't appreciate that we have. And because of that, we, we do um, some pretty interesting stuff. Usually, that stuff involves us going to God or going to somebody else, like, like Amelia did, and getting them to pray, or asking God to do something. And the truth is that on this earth right now, there is all the authority, all the power, and all the potential to heal every single person, change every single life, save every single body that needs saving, set everybody free who needs setting free. And not only is it on this earth, but there is enough in this room to do that. And, it, and it, it requires us to have this mindset that we have the authority. It's not something we, 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 we're trying to get. It's not something we, we have to fight for. It's something we actually have. The question is, do we use it? Are we going to use that authority? Do we know we have that authority? You see, a policeman who knows he has authority, can stop a 50-ton truck just by putting his hand up. If he doesn't put his hand up and use his authority, he gets run over by the 50-ton truck. That's the difference. That's how authority works. It's, it's really simple, but you've got to know you've got it. And authority can't be questioned because it just is. You can't say to a policeman, you're not a policeman, when he is a policeman, he is. And you can't say, you can't arrest me, because you can. And, and so we, we've got to know what we have. And so it's that what I want to talk to about this morning, because God intends us to use our authority. 
And in doing that, what he means is, what that means is that we've got to do our part because he won't do it. And, and that's kind of a reason why we don't see more breakthrough because a lot of us are expecting God to do something when it's our part to do it. And he won't do our part because he's given us that authority. And that, that was God's plan right from the beginning. When you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he, uh, God comes along and, and, he, and he talks about the authority that he's given to man. And so God, although he, he created the earth, he made the earth, what he said to, to Adam was that he, he gives him dominion, dominion over the earth, dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, all, all living things. And that authority was given to Adam in order to exercise. It wasn't given to Adam as like a novelty thing. It was given for a purpose, which was to exercise that, that dominion and that authority. And the way that operated was that Adam would walk with God in the Garden of Eden and they'd talk. Imagine that, just talking to God. How amazing would that be? How, how, how fantastic would it be to be Adam and just walk with God and talk to him? Well, here's the news. You can, because you have the Holy Spirit. And where we're going to go after this series, we're going to talk about how you hear God, how you listen to God, how you have those conversations. Now, here's the thing. What, why, why was Adam walking in the garden with God talking about things? Because there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no illness, there's no lack, there's no poverty, there's no pain, there's no sorrow. What, what are they doing? They're hanging out together and God's talking about his perspective and, and Adam's asking him questions about how to use what God's given him. That's a natural thing for a New Testament believer. That's, I talked about it last week, that's normal Christianity. That's, that's where we should be operating. And here's the problem. The enemy comes along you know, slimy, slippy, snaky guy. He comes along and he says, um, basically, what God's told you isn't true. He's holding back from you. And if you eat of that, that fruit that he's told you not to eat of, you're going to be like him. Now, here's the thing. He already was like God. Because it tells us that he was made in the likeness of God. And God breathed the God kind of life into Adam. So Adam fell for this lie. And in doing that, he, gave, he effectively gave Satan authority on the earth. Because authority was given by God to Adam. Adam believed the lie, exerted his own will above God's, and gave that authority away to the enemy. And so that's where all our troubles started. That's where all our problems started. Now, here's where all our problems start now. Because people believe we're still in that situation. And we're not. People still think that, that all the bad guys and all the enemy stuff, they have the power and God doesn't. Well, God's always had the power and now he's given it to his church. And... And we, we, we have this big fat thing that, you know, in our heads that we can't do anything about stuff. When in fact, the power 
And, and the life of God resides in us and we have the authority to walk in that. So, just in case you're going like, okay, well, how do you know that Satan got authority? You know, give me some word on that. Well, you know, when Satan said to Jesus, if you bow down before me, I can give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't dispute it because it was true. Satan at that time has authority. Satan still has authority in the life of unbelievers. He's called the God of this world. He blinds the minds of unbelievers in case they would turn to God. His job is trying to blind people. Our job is trying to open eyes. And so where do we get this authority from? Because if we're going to use our authority, if we're going to rise up like Amelia rose up, instead of just going, you know, like moaning, complaining, not doing anything about it, we need to know what, like, rock solid that we've got that authority, don't we? So I'm going to just show you a couple... It's a bit of a, a run around this morning because I'm, I'm just going to look at this whole topic of authority. So I just need to do a bit of a run around to see where you got it from and, and how to use it. Because that's what you want to know, isn't it? How to use it. But you need to know where you got it from because you need to believe you got it first. All right. So if you go with me to Colossians chapter 2 and I'll start at verse 8. And it's a really, really interesting verse 8. I love verse 8. And, and I remind myself lots of times what, what this says. It says this, Beware lest anyone cheat you who doesn't want to get cheated. You know, how many people have you been, how many have you been cheated in life? Yeah, it wasn't nice, was it? So we don't want that in our spiritual walk and we don't want it anymore. So it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. What that's talking about? What is it talking about? Let's put that in context. Here's what it's saying. There is a whole philosophy, there's a whole belief system out there called the world, called the world's wisdom, called uh, intelligence, called academia, call it what you like, call it social media, call it TV commentary, whatever it is, there's a whole load of stuff out there that he's telling you that God can't do anything and he isn't real. And it's all out there. And what Paul is saying in this verse is, don't let people cheat you and rob you of what you've got. Because they're going to tell you that God doesn't do anything today. People can't get healed. People can't get saved. Lives can't be changed. People can't be set free. You're a victim of your past. You'll never change. Life's always going to be that way. You'll always revert back and all that sort of stuff. And that is the world speaking. And that is cheating and robbing the body of Christ and the world that needs the body of Christ of experiencing the love of God. Because we believe all that sort of stuff. And it's not just unbelievers who believe all that sort of stuff. It's the majority of believers who believe all that sort of stuff. You know, I, I just think it's shocking what some believers come out with. Really well-known believers. There's a really well, well-known believer who's so Christian books in their millions who came out with this incredible statement a few weeks ago on his blog site, which is basically God will make you sick because he loves you. And God will put tragedy in your life because he loves you. And God will discipline you. And sometimes he'll kill you because he loves you. And you go, I don't want that sort of God. 
But you know, this guy, he's a Christian. He sells books in millions. If I told you his name, you'd know who he was. And yet, it's just not right. It's just garbage. What's the issue? The issue is that we've imported the philosophy of the world into the church that says God can't do anything. He's still an angry God. He's still mad at you. Jesus didn't, you know, all that stuff that Jesus did on the cross, waste of time really on this life because you're still a a miserable, awful sinner and God's out to get you. Some people are just so screwed up. But the reason they're so screwed up in their thinking is because... They don't know what they have. And until you know what you have, nothing changes. So Colossians 2 verse 8, let's keep going. For according to Christ, not according to Christ, for in Christ the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Yeah? So tell me what that means. Does that, just tell me if if I'm being wrong. So put your hand up if you think I'm wrong. Actually, put your hand up if you think I'm right, because if you don't, otherwise I won't know whether you're asleep or not. Put your hand up if you think I'm right. Does that or does that not say that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead is? Yeah? Right, point number one. In Christ all the fullness of the Godhead. Let's go on to the next verse. And you, say, say that's me, are complete in him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells where? In Christ. Where are you? In him. So where is that power, the fullness of God's power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, where is it? In you. So that's the truth. Not all those principles, philosophies of the world, all that sort of stuff that I was talking about. That's the truth. And then he goes on to say, and you've been, sorry, I've moved on to verse, Verse 10, and in him you have attained fullness or you are completing him. The reason I've, I've said that is that the, the translation I put up on the screen says you're completing him. But the, m- most translations of that verse, because this is, you know, when you're translating from a different language, it can be slightly different. Most translations will say this, and in him you have attained fullness. So that's saying the fullness of God dwells in Christ. You're in him. So in him, you have attained fullness. What tense is that? Like past tense. In there, in you, in your spirit, there is the fullness of God. In your spirit, you are wall to wall, Holy Ghost. And so that's, that's saying that's the truth. And, and what he's saying is don't let the world steal that from you. Church. I just think it's bizarre that we think it's okay to do church without the things of the Spirit. I think it's completely bizarre, but we, we, we've done it. And, you know, I was really excited, you know, like, when Roger talks about being old. By the way, he's older than me. i just like to point that out. <laughs> so, as a younger person... I would just like to say that I can remember being really very excited and being part of of this when um, people really started discovering the gifts and and the power of the Holy Spirit in the the 70s and 80s and they started setting out forming house churches which became big groups of churches and all the rest of it. And it was really exciting. We discovered that God actually did things. It's called the charismatic renewal. And yet 
Nearly all those churches that were formed then have now excluded the Holy Spirit from their churches. And I find that strange. That, that one generation would pay such a cost for the next generation to give it away again. I just find that really strange, but that's, that's the way it is. And here's, here's what we, we find out about Jesus. In him who is the head of all principality and power. This is verse 10, yeah? What's principality? Principality, power, whatever you want to say. They're sort of like authorities. People who've got some authority. Whatever authority exists amongst men or amongst the spiritual, Jesus is above it. Jesus is above all principalities, all powers, all authorities, all rulers. And what it's saying there, when it uses all these words, it's talking about position and rank and different tiers. And I don't want to get into that because you could speculate on all sorts of things there. But we actually don't know a lot more than that. We just know there's ranks and, and powers and levels and all that sort of thing. The point is this. Jesus is above them all. Where are you? In him. So where are you? You are above all principalities, powers, authorities, and whatever. Okay, so he's starting to get this idea. Okay. He's telling us this so we understand there is no power or authority comparable to the power and authority of Jesus. We all say amen to that, don't we? No power comparable to the power of Jesus. Amen. Yay. Can you wake this side up? <laughs> you see, that this is the refined, cultured, quiet side, isn't it? Gobs over there, you know. <laughs> Those from Norwich are still trying to get the first word out because they speak slowly. <laughs> okay, all of that's great, but you have to work out how it works in your life. And so... Paul goes on and he talks about how this works in, in your life, how, how this got to you. How did you go from being like a downtrodden uh, numpty of a Christian or numpty of a, a, a follower of God to having all this authority? How did that happen? Well, to get hold of this, you're going to have to get your head past something. And the thing you're going to have to get your head past is called the law. And the law tells you it all depends on you. So when you're good, you've got authority. And when you're not, you don't. Again, principles of the world and the enemy. Your authority rests in you because you're in Christ. It's not a come, go, come, go, come, go authority. If a policeman gets up in the morning and he's had a bit too much to drink the night before, he can still stop a 50-ton truck by putting his hand up. It's just, he might be doing it with a hangover, but he can stop the truck. That's how it works. He's always got the authority. We've always got the authority. He's still going with me. Because it's kind of exciting, isn't it? You're all ready to go out there, get people healed, get people set free, get lives changed, do a bit of witnessing, you know, all that sort of stuff. Smack a few people over the head, drag them to church, whatever it takes. Use your authority. Okay. Actually, don't smack people over the head. It's a bit naughty. <laughs> okay, so verse 13. And you've been dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's before you were a believer. 
He has made a life together, where? With him, having forgiven you, what? All your, having forgiven, what tense? When did that happen? Past tense, it happened at the cross. Having forgiven you, what? All. All. That's all. I just want to be really clear on this, just in case you haven't heard it over the back there. That's all. All. And just in case for the refined people, that's all. <laughs> all. Okay. So... In the middle, that's the problem. Neither one thing nor the other. In the middle. Oh, that means whatever you think got in the way of God working through your life or gets in the way of working through your life, he's wrong. Whatever you're thinking gets in the way of God working through your life that you have done or that happened to you, it's dealt with. It's forgiven. Why is it forgiven? Because God loves you and he died for you. Let's go on to verse 14. How did it happen? Have, this is how the slate gets wiped clean. Having forgiven, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. What, what handwriting did you have? What's he talking about? The law. What's the law? Nope. Law. Rules. Rules. If you want to, you see, people try and pick and choose at the law. They go, well, we'll have that bit. We like, we like that bit. We like the Ten Commandments. Let's have the Ten Commandments in schools. But let's not say too much about tattoos and mixed threads and bulls and goats being beheaded. Let's not do that bit. Because it makes a mess. Market Square in Cambridge, 200,000 bulls and goats getting sacrificed every week. It'll make a mess. So we'll not have that bit. We'll just have the other bits of the law. The problem is that if you pick and choose, you have to acknowledge that it isn't just ten laws. There's actually 613 laws in the Bible, and you're going to fail on one of them, even if you keep the big ten. And here's the problem. All that was telling you how bad you are. And the law, all these rules, all these ways of doing religion, all this sacrificial system, all the rest of it, it was never you. Because unless you're Jewish, it never applied for you. It only ever applied to Israel. So let's not bring it into the church. That's the problem that the, the disciples had at the start because they lived like this. They lived under the law and it took them a while to get their heads around how it didn't work anymore. How it was, as Paul says, it's time was done. We had a new covenant. And here's the thing. Why do we have any covenant? Because Jesus wiped it out. The handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, and where is it? Nailed to cross. If it's nailed to the cross, how are you going to get it back? Because that was 2,000 years ago, and unless you're Doctor Who... 
You cannot go and get it back. You can't change that. That's a fact. Jesus nailed the law to the cross. And in nailing the law to the cross, he declared, ended. Its power to accuse you is ended. Unfortunately, we still have somebody who accuses us. Well, we have two people who accuse us. Ourselves, because we're silly. And the enemy, because that's his job. Because he wants to stop you in your tracks and make you think that you can't see anything of the kingdom because you shouted at your two-year-old this morning. And until that's dealt with and you're truly sorrowful and you've cried on the floor for at least 15 minutes, you can't do anything. That's religion. I could do the old Apostle Paul thing and go like, am I saying it's okay to say? Absolutely not. You are a grade A idiot if you think it's okay to sin and it has no consequences. Because you reap what you sow. But as far as exercising your authority, it doesn't matter. You've still got stuff you need to deal with with God personally because you want to be more like Christ and get that stuff out of your life because it's making a mess of your life. But as far as authority is concerned, it's got nothing to do with it. But the enemy's coming along and saying, you can't use that authority because you're not good enough. And Jesus said, I, I wiped out all them rules. So, scorecard, you get 100 because there's, there's no nils in there. There's no fails. Here's, here's the point. Um, he took it out of the way, nailed it to court. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In taking away the enemy's ability to use the law and religion against you, he has disarmed their powers in your life. And what is more, he has displayed for the whole world to see their failure and their lack of power. Their failure and lack of power. That is in the enemy's camp, not the church's camp. We need to understand that we need to see the church differently. The church is the one with power, but we've started to see it as a body that is a failure and lacks power. And we need to start seeing it now that that's actually the enemy's problem. And what he's done a good job of is cheating us through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, basic principles of the world, and he's convinced us that he's got what we've got and we haven't got what he has. And we need to take hold of what is ours. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so why is this a big thing? Because we've been talking about how ordinary people can do extraordinary things and live extraordinary lives. And every ordinary person has the potential to be extraordinary because of the authority they have. Not because they're great people or amazing people or hugely gifted people, but because they have the authority. You know, when you're looking at your, the, the, the policeman in, in the road, with, uh, bearing down on him with your 50-ton truck, a policeman with his hand up, who's, who, who never achieved anything at school, who's, who's never really done much with his life, and you've got a policeman there who this is his job, but during the, at the time he's, hit, he's writing hit songs and, 
he's a social media star and all that sort of stuff. There's no difference. The authority is the same. It's not dependent on the person who's carrying it and their giftings. The authority is the same. Therefore, every ordinary person, like me, has the potential to be extraordinary because I've been given that authority. I can stop the 50-ton trucks coming down in my life. You can stop those 50-ton trucks that are trying to run you over. Are you, are you getting it? Okay, so here's what I want to talk about, and this is why this is so important. So Jesus takes back that authority that Adam gave away, and then he comes along in Matthew 28, and he says, all authority on earth and under the earth and in heaven has been given to me, and now what? You go. I'm giving you, I'm delegating that authority to you. I'm giving you it. And what's more, that authority is going to allow you to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's going to allow you to lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, set people free, bring souls into the kingdom. And I'm giving you it. So where are we? We're back where Adam was. You know, we remember right at the start, you said, wouldn't it be great if that was us? It is us. Only this time, we can't lose it. Have you ever thought about that? What Adam had in the first place, he lose, he could lose. Now, we can't lose it. Because where is it? It's seated at the right hand of God, and it's called Jesus. He's called Jesus. That's where it is. Nobody's taking it back. It's in the hands of of a man who is fully God called Jesus. The authority is back in the hands of a man and he's called Jesus. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Nobody's getting that back again. So, we need to understand how to use that authority. The first thing we need to do is remember, just like Adam, we need to walk with God and get heaven's perspective on things. You know, people will sometimes say, well, if God knows everything, why do you pray? Because he already knows, doesn't he? And I could give you like the answer, well, if you don't pray, nothing happens and all that sort of stuff. Here's why you pray when God already knows everything. Because you don't. Even though this is Cambridge, I can say safely you don't know everything. Some of you might be closer than others. Some of you might not have gone on Mastermind on TV because it was too low a level for you. You know, so that might be true for some of you. But we don't know everything. And therefore, when we pray, what, we are, what is really important is that we listen. Because we want God's perspective on stuff. We want to know precisely what we're meant to do. We want to know how not to mess up like we've been messing up. So prayer is firstly, and using our authority, do not use your authority without God's perspective on things. Because if you're a policeman with authority and you don't take your traffic flashing lights with you in your police car and you stand in the middle of the M11, you will get run over. Because they haven't seen your flashing lights in your police car. So we need God's perspective on things. We need to, to see things the way he sees them and, and, and listen so we can hear what we're supposed to do with what he's shown us. 
Here's the second thing. We need great faith. Yes. Yes. See, they, they were hesitant, the, the quiet, reserved side. They were thinking it through. You need great faith. It depends what you mean by great faith, you see. Because there's two examples where Jesus talks about people having great faith. I'm going to just run you through one really quickly to show you you need great faith. And, you got, and, and the immediate thing that comes in my head is, yeah, I need great faith. And then the next thing that comes in my head is, but Jesus said I only need faith size of a mustard seed. So I'm really confused now. You will remain really confused if you think great faith has to do with size. It does not. It is not to do with quantity of faith. People waste decades of their lives, I know because I did it, trying to get more faith. And, and the only thing that did is it, it, it reduced the level of results I was seeing when I prayed because all the time I was examining whether I personally had faith to see that. So people would come for prayer and I'd go, I'm just not in faith for that. I know I'm not in faith for that, but I pray anyway because I'm the pastor. It's what you do. <coughs> and, it's an, and it's a stupid, it's a mind game that cheats us. Here's what you're trying to have faith in. Faith the size of a mustard seed says, do I believe Jesus paid for this? That's not a big leap, is it? Nothing to do with you either. So great faith. Here's, here's what, how it links in with this topic of authority. Remember the centurion. Centurion. So centurion comes up to Jesus, and, and what's happening? Anybody remember? His servant's ill. And he comes up to, to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And he says, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that, because uh, just give the word, he's going to be healed. I know how authority works. You know, I've got men under me. I've got these, lead, these people that run under me. And I know that if I give the word, they do what I say. So, Jesus, you give the word, he's going to be healed. And it says, Jesus marveled. How cool is that? The God of the universe in human form marveled. How, how, how would you like that, Amelia? Like, just like God stood here and he's marveling. He's got, wow, there's an Amelia. Wow. And then he says something even more significant. He says, I've not come across such great faith in the, nation, in the land of Israel. Because the centurion's not Jewish. Okay. So here's the question. This tells us what great faith looks like. And remember, it's not size or quantity. What does great faith look like? Because... The guy, in one sense, isn't doing anything extraordinary. Like, I, 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 was, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, does it take any more faith to believe that somebody can get healed when I'm stood here and they're in, I don't know, Botswana, than it does for me to get on an aeroplane, fly to Botswana, and lay hands on them? Which, which needs more faith? Neither, because you're not, you're not doing it. It's not dependent on your power or your authority. It's dependent on what Christ has given you. So you're releasing it. And what Jesus marvels at, verse 9 says this. Let me just uh, read it to you. I also 
For I also am a man under authority. Who's the other also? Jesus. What's this centurion doing? This centurion is recognizing Jesus is operating under authority from where? From the Father. So Jesus is operating under authority. The centurion's operating under authority. And the centurion realizes this is how the kingdom works. The authority that Jesus is operating is that Jesus is doing what he heard the Father share with him when they got together and he got God's perspective on things. So I also am a man under authority. Just like you, Jesus, I'm under authority. I've got soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes, and another come and he comes. My servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, so it's not marveled, he's not marveling at the fact that the centurion said, you don't need to come. He's marveling at the, the centurion who's, who's a Roman has realized that Jesus is operating under authority from Father God and he understands how authority works. And he understands that's the principle of the kingdom. And this is it's like incredible that this man made this leap. When you think about it, I mean, it's all right for us now, but it's incredible that he made that leap. He's got no background. He's got no relationship with God. He's got no covenant with God at this stage because it's the other side of the cross. He's got nothing. And yet he knows this is how the kingdom works. He's got an insight and he knows that if he can get Jesus, he gets the answer because Jesus is operating under authority. So he's actually asking Jesus, will you use your authority? And that's what makes Jesus marvel. And he says, surely I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So the great faith he's talking about is understanding of authority. The greatness is the depth of understanding how authority works. You get that? So that's really, really exciting for us because it means it sets us free and it sets me free from years of going, I need more faith, I need more faith, I need more faith. Oh, if only I could get more faith, if only I could get more faith. I'll try harder, I'll read more Bible verses, I'll pray harder, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll read, I'll memorize more verses. I'll me I'll, 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 in fact, when I've memorized them, I'll say them 50 times just in case. And I'll need more faith, I need more faith. And it wasn't making a lot of difference except causing a lack of sleep. Because when you're doing all that, you don't have a lot of time to sleep. And so great faith is, a, you know, some of the things we do to try and, you know, get on and, and be better Christians, it's no wonder the world's not getting saved because we're so busy doing all the things that we think we need to do to, to get ready to go and save them. And the gospel is simple. Great faith is simple. It's an understanding of authority. The actual Greek for great is not a word that talks about size as such. The actual Greek talks, talks about a vast understanding of, a vast perception of. 
And so the wonderful thing about this is when you go back, it's that I also. And we realize that Jesus operated like this. By the way, can I have the, the worship team back up? We realize that Jesus operated like this. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything different to what he did. When Jesus was on the earth, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit who carried authority from God. Don't watch them, listen to me. They might be better looking than me, but you listen to me. This is where the stuff's happening at the moment. Okay. Here's what we need. It's a much maligned word. The quality that will release the authority is humility. The quality that releases the authority is humility. Even Jesus walked in total humility in relation to the Father. What does that mean? It means this. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son does nothing of himself. This is John 5, 19. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son dearly. Humility is not denying what you have. It's not denying the power you have or the authority you have. It's admitting that the power does not come through you. You are not the source of the power. You are not the source of the authority. You carry the power, you carry the authority. You are not the source of it. Humility says, I got the power. I got the authority. But it's not me, it's Christ in me. And it's not just saying it, it's believing it in your heart. Sometimes we can get carried away. And we can think this Christianity business is all about us. And how great we are. And what amazing ministry we got. What amazing Christian I am. Because we never say those things. We just behave like the truth. Here's the thing, that, that Christianity is not about that at all. It's about listening to the voice of the Father and doing what we see him do. <laughs> Using the authority that he's given us. That's what Jesus calls great faith. That is what faith building is all about. It's getting into the depth of God's heart, hearing his voice, and then letting it loose on the world around you. That is great faith. Jesus, you see, he didn't just go ahead and do things. Might surprise you, but he didn't. He went and asked his dad what he needed to do first. He said, uh, John 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. Isn't that amazing that Jesus on earth says, I can of myself do nothing. God in human form can of himself do nothing. I'll just let you worry about that for a while. 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father. Jesus had a will, but unlike Adam, he didn't use it to seek that own will. Adam used his willpower to go and try and get something more because he got himself convinced through, the, through what Satan has said to him, he got himself convinced that um, God was holding back and there was more, when in fact he was full of the likeness of God. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm not seeking my own will. I've got my own will. I could make my own decisions. I could do the things I want to do, but I'm seeking the Father's will. And for us, in our lives, that's just massive and hugely challenging. So you think you're getting to the end of a sermon without being challenged, direct, don't you? You're not. See, this, this is when this side go quiet and the thoughtful side say, give me more, give me more. <laughs> you see, that's what happens. Here's the challenge. If Jesus is saying... I am only seeking to do the will of the Father. And I'm not going to do anything which is not the will of the Father. Where does that leave us in how we run our lives? Is our life a devotion to hearing the voice of the Father and doing his will? Or is our life a devotion to seeking our own will? And that's just a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge for me, so I expect it's a massive challenge for all of you. In fact, I'm hoping it's a massive challenge for all of you. Otherwise, it's just me, isn't it? And it's going like, okay, there's, there's super speech. I, I, perhaps I'm not going up in the rapture, you know, they're all off. But the, the, the key is this, and I believe this is what God's challenging for us. And we'll all go off, and in fact, loads of people have gone off on summer holidays already, but we're all going to be going off on summer holidays over the next six, eight weeks. And I believe that's the challenge that God wants us to think about. Are we seeking God's voice, his will, and doing what we hear? Are we seeking our own will and hoping God will bless it? Because the two are really different. And authority is meant to be used to seek God's will. A policeman off-duty down the pub isn't the same as the man with the badge in front of the car. So we need to just get a bit out of the pub and start using some of our authority. Amen? Oh, switched on there. You all know what song we're going to sing now, don't you? <laughs> in here. Father, thank you. I thank you for the total victory of Jesus. I thank you that, that what was secured then is untouchable, unchangeable, incomparable, incredible victory. I thank you, Lord, that you have placed us in Christ and have given us the authority to make a difference on the earth, to put up our hand to say enough is enough. 
Change is coming. Enough is enough. Enemy, you will not win. Enough is enough. Sickness, you are stopping. Enough is enough. Lives are going to change. Enough is enough. I will not allow that to be stolen through lies and deceit and just not caring. Father, I thank you. I turn my eyes to you now and I worship you. 